Section 34 of The Natural History, Volume 4. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Amy Mugglestone. The Natural History, Volume 4 by Pliny the Elder. Translated by John Bostock and Henry Thomas Riley. Section 34, Book 20, Chapters 15 to 29. Chapter 15. The Staphylinos, or Wild Parsnip. 22 Remedies. The Staphylinos, or as some persons call it, Erratic Parsnip, is another kind. The seed of this plant, pounded and taken in wine, reduces swelling of the abdomen, and alleviates hysterical suffocations and pains, to such a degree as to restore the uterus to its natural condition. Used as a lineament also, with raisin wine, it is good for pains of the bowels in females, for men too, beaten up with an equal proportion of bread and taken in wine, it may be found beneficial for similar pains. It is a diuretic also, and it will arrest the progress of phagodianic ulcers if applied fresh with honey, or else dried and sprinkled on them with meal. Deutius recommends the root of it to be given, with hydromel, for affections of the liver and spleen, as also the sides, loins and kidneys, and Cleophantus prescribes it for dysentery of long standing. Philistio says that it should be boiled in milk, and for strangury he prescribes four ounces of the root. Taken in water, he recommends it for dropsy, as well as in cases of epistatony, pleurisy, and epilepsy. Persons, it is said, who carry this plant about them, will never be stung by serpents, and those who have just eaten of it will receive no hurt from them. Mixed with axle grease, it is applied to parts of the body stung by reptiles, and the leaves of it are eaten as a remedy for indigestion. Orpheus has stated that the Staphylinos acts as a filter, most probably because, a very well-established fact, when employed as a food, it is an aphrodisiac, a circumstance which has led some persons to state that it promotes conception. In other respects, the cultivated parsnip has similar properties, though the wild kind is more powerful in its operation, and that which grows in stony soils more particularly. The seed, too, of the cultivated parsnip, taken in wine or vinegar and water, is salutary for stings inflicted by scorpions. By rubbing the teeth with the root of this plant, toothache is removed. Chapter 16. Gingidian. One remedy. The Syrians devote themselves particularly to the cultivation of the garden, a circumstance to which we owe the Greek proverb, there is plenty of vegetables in Syria. Among other vegetables, that country produces one very similar to the Staphylinos, and known to some persons as Gingidian, only that it is smaller than the Staphylinos and more bitter, though it has just the same properties. Eaten either raw or boiled, it is very beneficial to the stomach, as it entirely absorbs all humours with which it may happen to be surcharged. Chapter 17. The Skirret. Eleven Remedies. The wild skirret, too, is very similar to the cultivated kind, and is productive of similar effects. It sharpens the stomach, and, taken with vinegar, flavoured with sylphium, or with pepper and hydromel, or else with garum, it promotes the appetite. According to Opian, it is a diuretic, and acts as an aphrodisiac. Diocles is also of the same opinion, and in addition to which, he says that it possesses cordial virtues for convalescence, and it is extremely beneficial after frequent vomitings. Heraclides has prescribed it against the effects of mercury, and for occasional impotence, and also generally for patients when convalescent. Hysesius says that skirrets would appear to be prejudicial to the stomach, because no one is able to eat three of them following. Still, however, he looks upon them as beneficial to patients who are just resuming the use of wine. The juice of the cultivated skirret, taken in goat's milk, arrests looseness of the stomach. Chapter 18. 
sile or heartwort. Twelve remedies. As the similitude which exists between their Greek names has caused most persons to mistake the one for the other, we have thought it well to give some account here of sile or heartwort, though it is a plant which is very generally known. The best heartwort is that of Massilia, the seed of it being broad and yellow, and the next best is that of Ethiopia, the seed of which is of a darker hue. The Cretan heartwort is the most odiferous of the several kinds. The root of this plant has a pleasant smell, the seed of it is eaten by vultures, it is said. Heartwort is useful to man for inveterate coughs, ruptures and convulsions, being usually taken in white wine. It is employed also in cases of epistotony and for diseases of the liver, as well as for griping pains in the bowels and for strangury, in doses of two or three spoonfuls at a time. The leaves of this plant are useful also, and have the effect of aiding parturition, in animals even. Indeed, it is generally said that rose, when about to bring forth, are in the habit of eating these leaves in particular. They are topically applied also in erysipelas, and either the leaves or the seed, taken fasting in the morning, are very beneficial to the digestion. Heartwort has the effect, too, of arresting looseness in cattle, either bruised and put into their drink, or else eaten by them after it has been chewed with salt. When oxen are in a diseased state, it is beaten up and poured into their food. Chapter 19. Elecampane. Eleven remedies. Elecampane, too, chewed fasting, has the effect of strengthening the teeth, if, from the moment that it is plucked, it is not allowed to touch the ground. A confection of it is a cure for cough. The juice of the root boiled is an expellent of intestinal tapeworm, and dried in the shade and reduced to powder, the root is curative in cases of cough, convulsions, flatulency, and affections of the trachea. It is useful too for the bites of venomous animals, and the leaves steeped in wine are applied topically for pains in the loins. Chapter 20. Onions. 27 Remedies. There are no such things in existence as wild onions. The cultivated onion is employed for the cure of dimness of sight, the patient being made to smell at it till tears come into the eyes. It is still better even if the eyes are rubbed with the juice. It is said, too, that onions are soporific, and that they are a cure for ulcerations of the mouth, if chewed with bread. Fresh onions in vinegar, applied topically, or dried onions with wine and honey, are good for the bites of dogs, care being taken not to remove the bandage till the end of a couple of days. Applied, too, in the same way, they are good for healing excoriations. Roasted in hot ashes, many persons have applied them topically with barley meal for defluxions of the eyes and ulcerations of the genitals. The juice, too, is employed as an ointment for sores of the eyes, albugo and argema. Mixed with honey, it is used as a lineament for the stings of serpents and all kinds of ulcerous sores. In combination with woman's milk, it is employed for affections of the ears and in cases of singing in the ears and hardness of hearing, it is injected into those organs with goose grease or honey. In cases where persons have been suddenly struck dumb, it has been administered to them to drink mixed with water. In cases, too, of toothache, it is sometimes introduced into the mouth as a gargle for the teeth. It is an excellent remedy also for all kinds of wounds made by animals, scorpions more particularly. In cases of alopecia and itch scab, bruised onions are rubbed on the parts affected. They are also given boiled to persons afflicted with dysentery or lumbago. Onion peelings, burnt to ashes and mixed with vinegar, are employed topically for stings of serpents and multipedes. In other respects, there are remarkable differences of opinion among medical men. The more modern writers have stated that onions are good for the thoracic organs and the digestion, but that they are productive of flatulency and thirst. The school of Asclepiades maintains that, used as an aliment, 
Onions impart a florid colour to the complexion, and that, taken fasting every day, they are promoters of robustness and health, that as a diet, too, they are good for the stomach by acting upon the spirits, and have the effect of relaxing the bowels. He says, too, that employed as a suppository, onions disperse piles, and that the juice of them, taken in combination with the juice of fennel, is wonderfully beneficial in cases of incipient dropsy. It is said, too, that the juice, taken with rue and honey, is good for quinsy, and has the effect of dispelling lethargy. Farrow assures us that onions, pounded with salt and vinegar, and then dried, will never be attacked by worms. Chapter 21. Cut Leek. 32 Remedies. Cutleek has the effect of stanching bleeding at the nose, the nostrils being plugged with the plant, pounded, or else mixed with nutgalls or mint. The juice of it, taken with woman's milk, arrests floodings after a miscarriage, and it is remedial in cases even of inveterate cough, and of affections of the chest and lungs. The leaves, applied topically, are employed for the cure of pimples, burns, and epinctus, this last being the name given to an ulcer, known also as psyche, situate in the corner of the eye, from which there is a continual running. Some persons, however, give this name to livid pustules, which cause a great restlessness in the night. Other kinds of ulcers, too, are treated with leeks beaten up with honey. Used with vinegar, they are extensively employed also for the bites of wild beasts, as well as of serpents and venomous creatures. Mixed with goat's gall, or else honeyed wine in equal proportions, they are used for affections of the ears, and, combined with woman's milk, for singing in the ears. In cases of headache, the juice is injected into the nostrils, or else into the ear at bedtime, two spoonfuls of juice to one of honey. This juice is taken, too, with pure wine for the stings of serpents and scorpions, and mixed with a semi-sextarius of wine for lumbago. The juice, or the leek itself, eaten as a food, is very beneficial to persons troubled with spitting of blood, phthisis, or inveterate catars, and in cases of jaundice or dropsy, and for nephretic pains, it is taken in barley water, in doses of one acetabulum of juice. The same dose, too, mixed with honey, effectually purges the uterus. Leeks are eaten, too, in cases of poisoning by fungi, and are applied topically to wounds. They act also as an aphrodisiac, allay thirst, and dispel the effects of drunkenness. But they have the effect of weakening the sight and causing flatulency, it is said. Though, at the same time, they are not injurious to the stomach, and act as an aperient. Leeks impart a remarkable clearness to the voice. Chapter 22. Bulbed Leek. 39 Remedies. Bulbed leek produces the same effects as cut leek, but in a more powerful degree. To persons troubled with spitting of blood, the juice of it is given with powdered nutgalls or frankincense, or else gum acacia. Hippocrates, however, prescribes it without being mixed with anything else, and expressed himself of opinion that it has the property of opening the uterus when contracted, and that taken as an aliment by females, it is a great promoter of fecundity. Beaten up and mixed with honey, it cleanses ulcerous sores. It is good for the cure of coughs, catars, and all infections of the lungs and of the trachea, whether given in form of a tisane or eaten raw, the head excepted. It must be taken, however, without bread, and upon alternate days, and this even if there should be purulent expectorations. Taken in this form, it greatly improves the voice, and acts as an aphrodisiac, and as a promoter of sleep. The heads, boiled in a couple of waters, arrest looseness of the bowels, and fluxes of long-standing, and a decoction of the outer coat acts as a dye upon grey hair. Chapter 23. Garlic. 61 Remedies. Garlic has very powerful properties, and is of great utility to persons on changes of water or locality. The very smell of it drives away serpents and scorpions. 
and, according to what some persons say, it is a cure for wounds made by every kind of wild beast, whether taken with the drink or food, or applied topically. Taken in wine, it is a remedy for the sting of the hemorrhoids, more particularly acting as an emetic. We shall not be surprised, too, that it acts as a powerful remedy for the bite of the shrew-mouse, when we find that it has the property of neutralising aconite, otherwise known as pardalianches. It neutralises henbane also, and cures the bites of dogs when applied with honey to the wound. It is taken in drink also for the stings of serpents, and of its leaves mixed with oil, a most valuable lineament is made for bruises on the body, even when they have swelled and formed blisters. Hippocrates is of the opinion also that fumigations made with garlic have the effect of bringing away the afterbirth, and he used to employ the ashes of garlic mixed with oil for the cure of running ulcers of the head. Some persons have prescribed boiled garlic for asthmatic patients, while others again have given it raw. Diocles prescribes it in combination with century for dropsy, and to be taken in a split fig to promote the alvine evacuations. Taken fresh, however, in unmixed wine with coriander, it is still more efficacious for that purpose. Some persons have given it beaten up in milk for asthma. Praxagoras used to prescribe garlic mixed with wine for jaundice, and with oil and pottage for the iliac passion. He employed it also in a similar form as a lineament for scrofulous swellings of the neck. The ancients used to give raw garlic in cases of madness, and Diocles administered it boiled for phrenitis. Beaten up and taken in vinegar and water, it is very useful as a gargle for quinsy. Three heads of garlic, beaten up in vinegar, give relief in toothache, and a similar result is obtained by rinsing the mouth with a decoction of garlic and inserting pieces of it in the hollow teeth. Juice of garlic is sometimes injected into the ears with goose grease, and taken in drink, or similarly injected, in combination with vinegar and nitre, it arrests thuriasis and parigo. Boiled with milk, or else beaten up and mixed with soft cheese, it is a cure for catars. Employed in a similar manner, and taken with peas or beans, it is good for hoarseness, but in general it is to be found more serviceable cooked than raw, and boiled than roasted. In this last state, however, it is more beneficial to the voice. Boiled in oxymel, it has the effect of expelling tapeworm and other intestinal worms, and a pottage made of it is a cure for tenesmus. A decoction of garlic is applied topically for pains in the temples, and first boiled and then beaten up with honey, it is good for blisters. A decoction of it with stale grease or milk is excellent for a cough, and where persons are troubled with spitting of blood or purulent matter, it may be roasted in hot ashes and taken with honey in equal proportions. For convulsions and ruptures it is administered in combination with salt and oil, and, mixed with grease, it is employed for the cure of suspected tumours. Mixed with sulphur and resin, garlic draws out the humours from fistulous sores, and employed with pitch it will extract an arrow even from the wound. In cases of leprosy, lichen, and eruptions of the skin, it acts as a detergent, and effects a cure in combination with wild marjoram, or else reduced to ashes and applied as a lineament with oil and garum. It is employed in a similar matter, too, for erysipelas, and reduced to ashes and mixed with honey, it restores contused or livid spots on the skin to their proper colour. It is generally believed, too, that taken in the food and drink, garlic is a cure for epilepsy, and that a clove of it, taken in astringent wine, with an ebolous weight of sylphium, will have the effect of dispelling quartan fever. Garlic cures coughs also, and separations of the chest, however violent they may be, to obtain which result another method is followed, it being boiled with broken beans, and employed as a diet till the cure is fully effected. It is a soporific also, and in general imparts to the body an additional ruddiness of colour. 
garlic act as an aphrodisiac, beaten up with fresh coriander and taken in pure wine. The inconveniences which result from the use of it are dimness of sight and flatulency, and if taken in too large quantities, it does injury to the stomach and creates thirst. In addition to these particulars, mixed with spelt flour and given to poultry in their food, it preserves them from attacks of the pip. Beasts of burden, it is said, will void their urine all the more easily and without any pain if the genitals are rubbed with garlic. Chapter 24. The Lettuce. 42 Remedies. The Goat Lettuce. Four Remedies. The first kind of lettuce which grows spontaneously is the one that is generally known as goat lettuce. Thrown into the sea, this vegetable has the property of instantaneously killing all the fish that come into its vicinity. The milky juice of this lettuce, left to thicken and then put into vinegar, is given in doses of two aboli, with the addition of one chiathus of water, to patients for dropsy. The stalk and leaves, bruised and sprinkled with salt, are used for the cure of wounds of the sinews. Pounded with vinegar, and employed as a gargle in the morning twice a month, they act as a preventative of toothache. Chapter 25. Seize upon. One remedy. Isartis. One remedy. The wild lettuce. Seven remedies. There is a second kind of wild lettuce, known by the Greeks as Searsapon. The leaves of this lettuce, applied as a lineament with polenta, are used for the cure of ulcerous sores. This plant is found growing in the fields. A third kind again grows in the woods. The name given to it is Asartis. The leaves of this last, beaten up and applied with polenta, are very useful for the cure of wounds. A fourth kind is used by dyers of wool. In the leaves it would resemble wild lepartham, were it not that they are more numerous and darker. This lettuce has the property of stunting blood and of healing phagodianic sores and putrid spreading ulcers, as well as tumours before separation. Both the root as well as the leaves are good too, for erysipelas, and a decoction of it is drunk for affections of the spleen. Such are the properties peculiar to each of these varieties. Chapter 26. Hawkweed. 17 Remedies. The properties which are common to all the wild varieties are whiteness, a stem sometimes as much as a cubit in length, and a roughness upon the stalk and leaves. Among these plants there is one with round, short leaves, known to some persons as hieracian, from the circumstance that the hawk tears it open and sprinkles its eyes with the juice, and so dispels any dimness of sight of which it is apprehensive. The juice of all these plants is white, and in its properties resembles that of the poppy. It is collected at harvest time by making incisions in the stalk, and is kept in new earthen vessels, being renowned as a remedy for numerous maladies. Mixed with woman's milk, it is a cure for all diseases of the eyes, such as argema, for instance, films on the eyes, scars, and inflammations of all kinds, and dimness of the sight more particularly. It is applied to the eyes, too, and wool, as a remedy for defluxions of those organs. This juice also purges the bowels, taken in doses of two abole in vinegar and water. Drunk in wine, it is a cure for the stings of serpents, and the leaves and stalk of the plant are pounded and taken in vinegar. They are employed also as a lineament for wounds, the sting of the scorpion, and more particularly combined too with oil and vinegar, they are similarly applied for the bite of the phalangium. They have the effect also of neutralising other poisons, with the exception of those which kill by suffocation, or by attacking the bladder, as also with the exception of white lead. Steeped in oxymel, they are applied to the abdomen for the purpose of drawing out vicious humours of the intestines. The juice is found good also in cases of retention of the urine, Craterus prescribes it to be given to dropsical patients in doses of two aboli with vinegar and one cyathus of wine. Some persons collect the juice of the cultivated lettuce as well, but it is not so efficacious as the other. 
We have already made mention to some extent of the peculiar properties of the cultivated lessus, such as promoting sleep, allaying the sexual passions, cooling the body when heated, purging the stomach and making blood. In addition to these, it possesses no few properties besides, for it has the effect of removing flatulency and of dispelling eructations, while at the same time it promotes the digestion without ever being indigestible itself. Indeed, there is no article of diet known that is a greater stimulant to the appetite, or which tends in greater degree to modify it, it being the extent, either way, to which it is eaten that promotes these opposite results. In the same way, too, lettuces eaten in too large quantities are laxative, but taken in moderation they are binding. They have the effect, also, of attenuating the tough, viscous phlegm, and according to what some persons say, of sharpening the senses. They are extremely serviceable, too, to debilitated stomachs, for which purpose a bolle of sour sauce is added to them, the sharpness of which is modified by the application of sweet wine, to make it of the same strength as vinegar sauce. If, again, the phlegm with which the patient is troubled is extremely tough and viscous, wine of squills or of wormwood is employed, and if there is any cough perceptible, hyssop wine is mixed as well. Lettuces are given with wild endive for celiac affections, and for obstructions of the thoracic organs. White lettuces, too, are prescribed in large quantities for melancholy and affections of the bladder. Praxagoras recommends them for dysentery. Lettuces are good also for recent burns, before blisters have made their appearance. In such cases they are applied with salt. They arrest spreading ulcers, being applied at first with saltpetre and afterwards with wine. Beaten up, they are applied topically for erysipelas, and the stalks, beaten up with polenta and applied with cold water, are soothing for luxations of the limbs and spasmodic contractions. Used, too, with wine and polenta, they are good for pimples and eruptions. For cholera, lettuces have been given, cooked in the saucepan, in which case it is those with the largest stalk and bitter that are best. Some persons administer them also as an injection in milk. These stalks boiled are remarkably good, it is said, for the stomach, the summer lettuce too, more particularly, and the bitter milky lettuce, of which we have already made mention, as the maconis, have a soporific effect. This juice, in combination with woman's milk, is said to be extremely beneficial to the eyesight, if applied to the head in good time. It is a remedy, too, for such maladies of the eyes as result from the action of cold. I find other marvellous praises lavished upon the lettuce, such, for instance, as that mixed with attic honey, it is no less beneficial for affections of the chest than abratonum, that the menstrual discharge is promoted in females by using it as a diet, that the seed, too, of the cultivated lettuce is administered as a remedy for the stings of scorpions, and that pounded and taken in wine, it arrests all the bitterness dreams and imaginations during sleep, that water, too, which affects the brain, will have no injurious effects on those who eat lettuce. Some persons have stated, however, that if lettuces are eaten too frequently, they will prove injurious to the eyesight. Chapter 27. Beet. 24 Remedies nor are the two varieties of beet without their remedial properties. The root of either white or black beet, if hung by a string, fresh gathered and softened with water, is said to be efficacious for the stings of serpents. White beet, boiled and eaten with raw garlic, is taken for tapeworm. The root, too, of the black kind, similarly boiled in water, removes parigo. Indeed, it is generally stated that the black beet is the more efficacious of the two. The juice of the black beet is good for inveterate headaches and vertigo, and injected into the ears, it stops singing in those organs. It is a diuretic also, and employed in injections as a cure for dysentery and jaundice. This juice, used as a lineament, allays toothache, and is good for the stings of serpents. 
but due care must be taken that it is extracted from this root only. A decoction, too, of beetroot is a remedy for chilblains. A lineament of white beetroot applied to the forehead arrests defluxations of the eyes, and mixed with a little alum, it is an excellent remedy for erysipelas. Beaten up and applied without oil, it is a cure for excoriations. In the same way, too, it is good for pimples and eruptions. Boiled, it is applied topically to spreading ulcers, and in a raw state it is employed in cases of alopecia and running ulcers of the head. The juice injected with honey into the nostrils has the effect of clearing the head. Beetroot is boiled with lentils and vinegar for the purpose of relaxing the bowels. If it is boiled, however, some time longer, it will have the effect of arresting fluxes of the stomach and bowels. Chapter 28. Limonian or Neuroides. Three Remedies. There is a wild beet, too, known by some persons as Limonian and by others as Neuroides. It has leaves much smaller and thinner than the cultivated kind, and lying closer together. These leaves amount often to eleven in number, the stalks resembling that of the lily. The leaves of this plant are very useful for burns, and have an astringent taste in the mouth. The seed, if taken in doses of one acetabulum, is good for dysentery. It is said that a decoction of beet with the root has the property of taking stains out of cloths and parchment. Chapter 29. Endive. Three Remedies. Endive, too, is not without its medicinal uses. The juice of it, employed with rose oil and vinegar, has the effect of allaying headache, and taken with wine it is good for pains in the liver and bladder. It is used, also, topically, for defluxions of the eyes. The spreading endive has received from some persons among us the name of ambula. In Egypt, the wild endive is known as chicorium, the cultivated kind being called cerus. This last is smaller than the other, and the leaves of it more full of veins. End of section 34